Hey everyone, welcome to the Gatekeepers Podcast. In this message, Billy Humphrey speaks on how the heart of God is radically in love with us, and how this revelation greatly impacts our relationship with Him. If you want to know more about Gatekeepers, visit gatecityatl.com slash gatekeepers. Enjoy. get into it. We're on part seven of our series. Can you believe we're on part seven? It feels like it's gone pretty fast. Usually about the seventh one, you're getting a little tired. You're like, dude, you can talk about that again. But I think by now, I mean, we're kind of just getting into the good part, right? It's like the story's just picking up and we're getting into the good part. So we are in part seven. We're on chapter four. We're going to hit the turning point, the midpoint of the book, the turning point of the book by the end of this chapter. Just as a recap, remember last week she had uh, come through a time of uh, sin and she was searching for him in a place where she was used to finding him, but he wasn't there. He was gone. And so, uh, you know, she says, you know what, I'm going to rise now. And we talked about that last week. I will rise now and come out of my disobedience. And she begins to seek him. And as soon as she starts seeking him, she she finds him. And when she finds him, she will not let him go. And that season of separation, it works a dynamic work in her life to where she is no longer going to just allow herself to be separated from him. But she is going to be clinging to him for good. And then the scene changes, and we get to see him as the safe Savior. And so, you know, some, so often we, you know, feel like maybe he stepped away, but really it's not him that steps away. It's, it's us that step away. And, and so he's safe even in the midst of that, and he's thinking about the wedding even in the midst of that. And so uh, that's where we ended it last week, that he is the safe Savior, he is, uh, you know, got legions of angels to protect us, to care for us, to cover us. All right. So chapter four starts with this, verse one. And this is the beloved, and he's speaking to her. And he's, he's, he is about to explode. And this chapter, this chapter explodes. He says, behold, You are fair, my love. Behold, you are fair. You have dove's eyes behind your veil. So you guys recognize dove's eyes. it's It's something he said to her in the past. He's telling her, you're faithful. You're faithful. But the the way this sentence goes, it's it the construction is super, super important. Okay, so immediately the thing that jumps out to me is he says, behold, twice. Whenever you see behold in the scripture, I like to call it the divine voila. It's like God is unveiling something. He's like, ta-da, behold, okay? So he's doing that to draw your attention to something that's rare, that's different, that's unique, that's important. In this verse, he says it twice. Behold, you are fair. In other words, behold, you are beautiful. Behold, you are beautiful. So he tells her twice, she's beautiful, you are fair, you are beautiful. Anytime, anytime 
you see in Scripture the same phrase, and it's repeated twice, bang, bang. When you see that, underline that, because he is, he's giving that emphasis, not because just, oh, it's cool to say it twice. He's giving that double emphasis because he's really wanting to communicate this truth in a profound way. That's why it's in there that way. He goes, oh, you're beautiful. Oh, you're beautiful. You're, you're faithful. And this is the thing that we've got to catch right now. When you have come out of sin, when you have repented, when you have turned away from sin and you've turned to him, his response is, oh, you're beautiful. Oh, you're beautiful. So often we can imagine that when we come out of sin, he's going, well, I don't know. Let's just see. Let's just see how sincere you really are. Let's just see you work it out and you prove it to me that you're actually sincere. Let's just see. And we imagine so often that he's like meeting us with sort of a, a negative attitude and sort of this, you know, like prove it attitude when we repent. And that is not it at all. He is instantly declaring to us the beauty of who we are to him when we turn to him. And he's instantly speaking to us of our identity in him. He goes, you're beautiful, you're beautiful. You're faithful. Do you remember I told you that? That's what he says. Do you remember I, I said you were faithful? He goes, and I saw it then and I see it now and it's true. It's true about you that even though you made that poor decision, you made good because you had initially said you wanted to run with me and now you are and you were faithful. I knew it. See, he's looking at you and he's saying, I knew it all along. I knew exactly who you were on the inside. The problem is you don't know who you are. He goes, but I do. He goes, you're beautiful. You're beautiful. You're faithful. And I realize so often when I'm going through it, when I'm going through difficulty, when I'm under the accusations of the enemy and I'm fighting it off my mind and I'm having conflicts and challenges and difficulties, the enemy's coming and goes, you're ugly. And I go, man, I feel kind of ugly. <laughs> he goes, because you are. Like, bro, you are ugly. You're not faithful. And he's hitting me with all those lies. And he's always parading as if he's the Lord. He's always acting like, see? See how much of a failure you are? God's not accepting you. He, he, he's, you're going to have to prove it to him. And then you get under this religious spirit. You're going to like prove through works that you're actually a good person. Watch this. She hasn't even done anything yet. He invited her to the mountains. They're not at the mountains yet. She hasn't done one work of obedience. Before she can even do anything to verify if her repentance is real, he's going, you're beautiful, I knew it, you're faithful, you are, you're faithful. And it's almost like he's shouting to the angelic ranks, behold, look at my bride. Look at her. She loves me. See how beautiful she is. 
She wants to run with me. She hasn't even run with him yet. And this is what you've got to catch, guys. The heart of God is enthralled, absolutely enthralled with a believer who has a yes on the inside. He is, he is magnetically attracted. He is so, I mean, taken with you and your little yes. You're struggling in something. You come to your senses. You say, I don't want that anymore. You push it off. And as soon as you say no and I want you, you're beautiful. Like, I mean, it's like that. But I didn't even prove it. Behold, you're beautiful. Like he's that level. He goes, I knew you were faithful. Step back into your identity. And we don't comprehend what's going on in the heart of the uncreated God for us and how much he wants us. And see, we always, we mostly ask the wrong question. Most people ask, what do you want me to do? It's the wrong question because he doesn't want you to do anything. I like how Pastor Dustin says it. He goes, we should just shorten the question. What do you want? And the answer to what do you want is always you. His answer is always the same. You, I want you. I don't want you to do anything. You don't have to do anything for me. When I hear believers and they say, well, I'm doing this for God. I'm, I'm you know, working for God, doing this for God. I'm like, first of all, he don't need you to work for him. It's just like you're, you're like, you know, you're like an infant that crawls and, and you think you're going to come and like, you know, be the general contractor for like the streets of gold and the mansions in heaven. Like it ain't happening. He don't need you to work for him, but he wants to do things with you. Ephesians 2 calls it good works prepared beforehand that we would walk in them, that we should walk in them. So stuff that he wants us to do with him. And so we, we kind of get this really weird thing that God wants me to do something, my calling, my destiny, my this and my that. He doesn't really care about what you do. There's things you're going to do together with God. Those are awesome. But they are a byproduct of the thing that he really wants. And the thing he really wants is you. And so as soon as she turns, before she does anything, before she says anything, before she can even do a work of obedience, he says, you are beautiful. And this is the truth that you got to catch right now. We've been talking about what it looks like to live in partnership with him. He wants her with him. He wants, he wants voluntary lovers for partnership. Yes, he wants you to run with him. But it's not just partnership and, and works that he's looking for and, and being on the mountain and subduing kingdoms and all that stuff. That's not the only thing he's looking for. He wants pleasure. Now just get your mind around this. God wants pleasure. And God gets pleasure. This is going to seem too simple for you. He gets pleasure by being with you. God gets 
pleasure by being with you. In the way that you get pleasure by being with him, he gets pleasure by being with you. It really is like that. It really is like that. And so he's not just after you for partnership. He's not just trying to get a ministry after you or some conquest or whatever it is you think God's trying to get out of you. He's not just trying to get things out of you. He's trying to get you. He wants to experience you because you delight him. And I just wonder if you really believed that you bring him pleasure, how that might shift the way you think about your relationship with God. Like he enjoys you. And so this is what we're seeing right now is that as she turns out from this season of disobedience, she turns right back into him and then he immediately is sharing his heart with her and telling her how beautiful she is to him and what he sees in her because this is what he wants is her. And I'm wanting you to know that. What he wants is you. And I would just say young, uh, young adults, the number one question that young adults have asked me for 30 years in ministry is, what's God's will for my life? You are God's will for your life. Being with him is God's will for your life. That's it. You're like, that doesn't help me. It does help you. You have no idea how much that helps you. That helps you so much. Like, give me something practical. I'm giving you the most practical thing I can give you. Like, for real. If you get this point landed, everything else is minor details. Because God's will for you is to be with you. It's really what it is. And he's delighted and he receives pleasure from that. God receives pleasure from that. So what he's going to do is this. She, he says, he goes, behold, you are fair. Behold, you are fair. You have dove's eyes. And then he's just going to get on a roll. And he gives her eight affirmations. And in the notes, you can just go back and look at them. He goes, you've got dove's eyes. Your hair is like a flock of goats. That's the, that's, I mean, you're, you're talking like the thing every girl wanted to hear right there. Your hair is like a flock of goats coming down from Mount Gilead, girl. Try that one on them, dude. Like, just try that. Because that, that just knocks them, like, poof, like, perfect. Your hair, girl, is like a flock of, Gilead, flock of goats coming down Mount Gilead. If that doesn't work, you can always try this one. Your teeth are like a flock of shorn sheep, babe. Try that. Because if the, if the hair, the flock of Gilead goats don't work. Every time I've ever told Mary Beth her teeth are like shorn sheep, I mean, she just, she just melts. Oh, I shouldn't have, shouldn't have told your private business. I'm sorry. Okay, truth be told, I never said that to my wife. Don't try that on anybody ever. Not even joking. <laughs> Thank you. But he says these things. He goes, Harry's like a flock of goat, uh, goats going down from Mount Gilead. Your teeth are like shorn, shorn sheep coming up for the washing. Lips are like scarlet. Mouth is lovely. Temples are like pomegranates, neck like the Tower of David. Your breasts are like fawns. So he goes through these eight, these eight details of her budding beauty. And the point of it is this. 
he's affirming her identity once again. Okay, and in the notes, you can just read the details of each one of them. Submission to leadership, faithfulness and devotion to him, revelation in the word, buoyant emotions. Some of these you recognize probably like temples or like the cheeks, like pomegranates, like the the buoyant emotions. He said these things to her in the past. He's saying them to her again. Does anybody remember what the neck represents? Just curious. The will. What did you say? It, it does say your neck is like the Tower of David. Okay, here's, here you go. Here's, let's see if any Bible scholars in the room. Where is the Tower of David mentioned in the Bible? Huh? It's <laughs> nice. Trick question. Ta-da. Where else is it mentioned? Some of y'all like in your concordance like, oh. Huh? Second Samuel, where in Second Samuel? Yeah, you're just throwing it out there, see if it'll stick. It's not. It's not mentioned anywhere else in the Bible because it's not in there. So what is he saying? Your neck, your will, is like somebody else's will. It's like David's will. And David's will is like a tower. And David was a man after my own heart. And your will is just like David's. You're one right after my own heart. Each one of those metaphors hits like that. Temples, neck, okay. All right. We'll just move along. Why are you laughing? Verse 6. Okay, junior highs. Y'all need, some of y'all need to take a lap. All right. Verse 6. Until the day breaks and the shadows flee away. Watch this. Remember the last time she said this. Do y'all remember the last time she said this? End of chapter 2, right? And what did she say? Until the day breaks and the shadows flee away, what? You go your way, be like a young stag or a gazelle on the mountains of Beeth or separation, right? Y'all are getting it. Now she says, until the day breaks and the shadows flee away, I will go my way to the mountain of myrrh. And the hill of frankincense. This is a major shift in her. Now, this is a response to what she'd said earlier. Because what she said earlier is, you go away. And now she's saying, I will go to the mountain. So she's coming back and taking back what she'd said before. She said, I'm going to go to the mountain of myrrh. I'm going to go to the hill of frankincense. And, And here's what she's realized. That... Before, she thought, I can't go until the darkness is out of my life, until the day breaks and the shadows flee away. I can't go. Now she's realized something. The only way to get the shadows out of her life is by being with him. That's the only way. And where is he? On the mountain. So guess what I'm going to do? Until the day breaks and the shadows flee away, I'm going to go my way on the mountain. 
Now, she says this interesting thing. She says, I'll go my way. I will go my way. The my way, everybody has a my way. And here's what you got to catch. Your way is not my way. All right? And here's what the point is. God has a tailor-made path for each of us that is going to bring us to the greatest level of voluntary love and the greatest level of maturity that we could possibly come to. But your way is your way. And my way is my way. And she says, I'm going to go my way. And somebody looks at someone else's life and they go, it's like God did them like that, but he didn't do me like that. And I'm like, the reason why he didn't do you the same way that he did them is because your way is not their way. And some of you go, well, like, I got so much more hardship. I look at my own life, I go, man, there's some hardships in my life. And I think, dang, Lord, what the heck? Like, this wasn't awesome. These things weren't hard, real hard. I'm not talking about the air conditioner went off for a day or two. I'm talking about, like, real things. And then what I realize is my way, the things he's allowed, the things that he walks me into, the things that he allows to happen, the things that he keeps me from, the challenges that I have to go through, they are all, hear me, they are all crafted to bring me to the greatest place of voluntary love and submission in my life. And sometimes I look at my life and I go, did it really take all that? He goes, you're kind of hard-headed, dude. You're kind of hard-headed. You kind of had to walk through all that to get to that place where you finally threw your hands up and said, God, please help. I will go my way to the mountain of myrrh is burial spice. And what she's saying is this, the way he's made for me, is a, it's a way to be with him on the mountain, but I know that that mountain is gonna bring me to the end of myself. It's gonna bring me to a place of death to myself. It's gonna bring me to the place, if I go my way in him, it's gonna bring me to the mountain of myrrh, and the mountain of myrrh is Galatians 2.20. I've been crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, I live, yet not I, but Christ lives in me. And the life that I now live in, I live in the flesh by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. If I go my way to the mountain of myrrh, it's going to bring me to the end of myself. It's going to bring me to the end of my plan above his plan, of my way above his way. But she says, you know what? I'm going to go my way, and I'm going to go to the mountain of myrrh. I'll tell you all a story. I was in uh, Kansas City. I had moved to Kansas City from Atlanta. The Lord had been speaking to us that we were going to start a house of prayer. So we're sitting there, and we go to Kansas City, and I'm telling y'all, I'm telling you, I, I mean, I'm six weeks in, I'm going, what in the world have I done? I was part of an awesome church. We had an awesome ministry. We had 300 plus young people in our youth group. It was all the stuff. I told you all the stories. It was just so great. And I end up being in a prayer room with worship leaders who all sing the same songs every two hours. And the other guy didn't know that the last guy sang that exact same five songs. And now this guy's doing the same songs. 
I must have heard, that was when, right when Blessed Be the Name of the Lord, that song came out. I must have heard that song 1,000 times in about a month. It was unreal. And I'm sitting there, I'm about six weeks in, maybe eight weeks in, and I'm thinking, I have made a major mistake. I've made a massive mistake. I had a great ministry. I was getting paid a salary. I had a cell phone that they paid for. I mean, I thought I was the man. I fired myself. I go on support as a missionary. No perks. And now I'm sitting in a prayer room, and everybody is a little bit, I mean, quite honestly, a little spooky. They're a little lofty for me. I just didn't quite get what the deal was. I mean, it was odd. And I remember, and I'm thinking, oh, my gosh, I've got to plant a house of prayer too. And I don't even like this. I don't even like harp and bowl, which is the model that they use to keep the 24-7 going. I was like, I don't, I don't like that. I, people around here say God instead of God. It was really odd. I was like, what is going on? God. We're asking you, God, to do this, God. I thought, my gosh, they don't know how to say God. It's so bizarre. And, and everything was a bridal paradigm, lovesick worshipers at the end of the age in the wilderness, forerunners, John the Baptist. I'm going like, can you guys give me like one Bible verse out of Proverbs? Like something like, you know, just, you know. Wisdom, something practical. There was, it was nothing practical. It was painful. And I'm sitting there. I'm two, two months in, maybe three, two and a half, three months in. And I'm realizing I have to plant this in Atlanta, and I don't even like this. And I'm sitting there in the prayer room, and I'm like, oh, I know what it is. God pulled me out of ministry because I was blowing it so bad, and he's put me in exile in this prayer room to just like stop me from making a mess of things. And I'm, yeah, he put me in timeout. And I'm going like, oh, I'm not supposed to be in ministry. Duh, that's why I'm in here. And I thought I was going to plan a house of prayer, but I'm not because I hate this. This is terrible. And I'm sitting there I'm, and I'm, I'm going, I really need someone like, I need a, like a real word from the Lord. Like I don't need like a, let's say it, the Lord, you're blessed. I need like God to tell me right now prophetically what's the deal. So I go to the most prophetic uh, woman that I know that was out there. I go, I need a word from the Lord right now. And she goes, oh, why? I go, because I think maybe I've made a mistake. I think I'm, I thought I was going to plan a house of prayer and be like back in Atlanta in a year. And I just really feel like I need a word like what's God saying? And she kind of gets this knowing smile on her face. She goes, yeah. I go, oh, uh-huh. She goes, yeah, I think it's going to take you at least five years. I go, like five years to be here? She's like, oh, yeah, at least. I'm like three months in. I'm like, oh, my gosh. I'm in exile in Kansas City. And I'm just going to, okay. So, okay. <laughs> like, I'm getting my mind around this. Like, okay, so I'm going to be sitting in this prayer room now for the next five years. Oh, my gosh. Now, she didn't prophesy. She was giving me her opinion. So I'm sitting there. So I go back in the prayer room, and I sit down, and Misty Edwards is up. So how many of y'all pretty much know, everybody know Misty? She's like a pretty one of worship leader. She's up there, and she is singing a chorus about, I will go my way to the mountain of myrrh. And I know Song of Solomon enough to know that's the mountain of death. And she goes, I will go my way to the mountain of myrrh. And I'm telling you, it's, it seemed like she sang it for an hour and a half. 
It was hard. I was like, I'm dying right now. I'm going to the mountain of Myrrh, and I'm dying. She's singing about my death. This is what's, I'm sitting there like, this is it. It's over. And, I, and, I'm, and I'm sitting there, and, I'm, and it's, it's, I'm telling it funny, but I'm sitting there, and I'm like, Lord, I'm so sorry. I failed you. You, you know, I thought you said Kansas City. You must have said something else. You know, you know, I, I don't know, something that rhymes with Kansas City. You, you must have said something else. What? Manzas, Manzas pity. I don't know. It, it, some. And I'm going, I made a major mistake. And people had, people had sown money into us because we were going to plan a house of prayer back in Atlanta. And people had given us like pretty generously and we were like saving it so that, but we were, you know, part of it was our personal support and then part of it we had to, you know, we're saving it so that we could come back and, you know, plant the house of prayer. And so I'm sitting there going, Lord, if I don't do a house of prayer, that's called, you know, I'm, that's false pretenses. That's raising money under false pretenses. Like I, you can go to jail for that. And I'm like, but if you're not calling me to do this, I'm sitting there going, Lord, I'm literally make, I'm praying this prayer. God, can you make it so I don't go to jail? I prayed that prayer exactly. Like, please, can you make it so I don't get arrested? My children are small. They need their dad at home. I'm literally praying that. And I'm going, I'm like, I'm just sorry. And I'm, I'm just weeping. I'm like, I'm so sorry. I thought I was this big guy. I thought I was going to do this house of prayer. I'm clearly not. And uh, I'll never forget it. He just speaks right to my heart. He goes, uh, do you know how blessed I am that you'd even try? I'm like, I, I'm not even trying. Like, I'm giving up right now. <laughs> so that's what I'm thinking. I'm giving up. He goes, and I remember, I remember, I, like, I heard the Lord say my name in, inside, not outside, but inside. He goes, Billy, would you just keep trying? And I'm, now I'm just a mess. She won't stop singing Mountain of I'm just a mess. I go, okay, I'll keep trying. I'll keep trying. And I go, I go, because he goes, you know, blessed I am that you'd even try. I'm like, you like this? You like this? He goes, yeah. Would you just keep trying? I go, okay, I'll keep trying. And then he gave us the house of burning and it went 24-7 and then whatever, all the rest is history. But see, my way it's not your way. He had to call me out of my successful ministry job, put me on, you know, support, bring me to the end of myself in a prayer room where nobody knew my name, bring me down to the point of like, gosh, I'm a failure, I think, till I finally could realize that without him I can do nothing. He had to reduce me to where it was like, okay, you're the only one that matters, Lord. Then you're the only thing that matters. But if, if you tried to do my way, it wouldn't, it wouldn't be the thing for you. Do you know what I'm saying? Now, Paul said, imitate me as I imitate Christ. He's talking about character and conduct and lifestyle. Like, we can follow somebody as they follow Christ, right? Like, they're godly, they're honest, they're honorable, they, they love well, they're generous, they, they serve, and they're humble. Like, you can follow that, but you can't go and say, Paul's got a thorn in the flesh, I'll take a thorn in the flesh. Do you see what I'm saying? That's his way. And you got your way, and I got my way. And that's what she's emphasizing is, I will go my way to the mountain of myrrh. I will go my way. And the hill 
of frankincense, you know it's smaller, a hill smaller than a mountain. Frankincense is like mixed in everything the high priest would offer. Altered incense, all the sacrifices. Frankincense represents worship and prayer. And it's a smaller hill because it's like this. A little bit of devotion and intimacy will compel you to a lot of bit of laying down your life. Getting, getting touched a little bit in that place of intimacy. You, you, have you ever noticed in those moments of like high worship and real the, pressure, the, the, uh, the presence of the Lord is really rich, you're like, God, I'll do anything. Like it doesn't have to be like a big, deep worship moment. It can be like, like just a good one. You're like, anything, take everything. You're like, and he's like, cool, I'm, I'm here for everything. You're like, bro, I, I was just like worshiping. He's like, I know. Like I, but I just, you know, I just said, and he goes, yeah, I know what you said. I'm here for it. Have you ever, have, has you ever had that happen where you said things in a place of intimacy that you came back and you went, oh my gosh, what was I doing? It's like you got, you got inebriated. You got intoxicated in his presence momentarily. You said some stupid stuff, <laughs> some good stuff, faithful stuff, laying your heart down, life down stuff, that he actually takes you serious. A little hill of frankincense will compel you to go to a mountain of myrrh. Am I making sense? Y'all still with me? Y'all still with me? They're still with me for the podcast. I know you couldn't hear them, but they are still with me. Okay. So now we're going to get to the point. Verse 7. This verse is meant, uh, no, it's verse 9 that's meant the most. Okay, so he goes, you are all fair, my love. There is no spot in you. I've got to move more quickly now. He goes, come with me to, from Lebanon, come with me to the top of Amana, from the top of Sinir and Hermon. He, he says, come to the mountains with me. And he's, look, she hasn't even come yet. He goes, I knew it. He goes, I knew there was no spot in you. I knew your heart was perfect towards me. I knew it. But her heart wasn't spotless. She made some major mistakes, right? But he has this editing process that when, you're, when you put that yes in place, it's called the blood of Jesus. It completely cleanses you from all sin and all unrighteousness. He goes, you're spotless. You're blameless. He goes, I knew it. I saw that yes on the inside because there's no spot in you, my love. Verse 9, here it is. You have ravished my heart. You've ravished my heart, my sister, my spouse. You've ravished my heart with one look of your eyes, with one link of your necklace. Did he say it twice? Did he say it twice? Why did he say it twice? Because he wants you to get it. This verse and this identity of God the ravished heart of God is the central idea behind who God is as a bridegroom. And it's this, it's this radical truth that God's heart is ravished toward you. Ravished means caught away, snatched away, stolen. He goes, you've stolen my heart. Has she gone to the mountain yet? 
Has she gone to the mountain yet? What's he say has ravished his heart? One glance. One glance. He says, you've ravished me. Here's what, here's what you and I have to catch. That our God loves us with a love that is overwhelming. That he is so into us that you look at him, whether you feel anything or not, it's overwhelming to God. I know that sounds impossible that us who are created, that we have this sort of power of love to bring him pleasure at that level. I know that might seem impossible to you, but it's absolutely the truth. His heart is moved by you. So hold that thought. And I just gave him a glance. And his heart is ravished by me. And you have been giving him lots of looks all night. How does he feel about you? He's captured by you, captivated, enthralled. He's, he is swept away by you, by your look, your glance. And then he goes, and one link of the necklace. What is a necklace? What's a necklace for? Yeah, it's for your neck, yes, and it lies on your neck, your will and your heart, right? Your passion and your will, that's, that's right. But what, why, do you put on, why do you put it on? It beautifies you. So you put a necklace on, a link, you can't get a whole necklace out of a link, it's just one little piece of the necklace, right? What's he saying? One attempt to be beautiful for me overwhelms me. One glance of your eye, he goes, I'm ravished by you. One glance, and I'm overwhelmed with affection and love and desire for you. Listen to me, young men, listen. You can, you can tap out and go, oh, God really likes me. No, 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 you don't get it. God is overwhelmed about you. Don't take the exit ramp on this verse because you're not romantic. You will miss the heart of God for you. When you look at him, when you just glance at him, he goes, oh, I love you. In a chapter and a half, he's going to say, turn your eyes away from me. I can't take it. See, most of us think God is looking at us through a lens of judgment. Most of us think God is like investigating us, looking for the flaws. What we see with the heart of the bridegroom in Song of Solomon is he's mostly calling out our virtues so that we don't live in our flaws. And he's mostly saying, you have no idea how you move me. Do you know the way you move me? You have to hear him saying that over you. Because if you don't understand that he loves you like that, then you don't know what love is. 
And people are like, oh, Jesus loves you. And we think it's some kind of like nursery rhyme for the children's church. And I'm telling you, Jesus loves you is Jesus is absolutely ravished over you. He doesn't want to share you with anybody because you are the desire of his heart. You are what brings him pleasure. One look of your eye. This is the central idea of the bridal paradigm. And the bridal paradigm is the view of the kingdom of God that sees God, as he says in Isaiah 54, your maker is your husband. And this is a a, a cosmic truth that God created you so he could marry you. So he could be joined to you in intimacy forever. And when I see people who are just jacking up their lives, I go, oh my goodness, you don't know how much he loves you. You just don't know the love of God. You've fallen into the trap of following a religious system. Do's and don'ts. You've imagined that God is up there as some principal in the office ready to give you detention as soon as you step out of line if you don't follow exactly one, two, three, four, five. That's not it at all. All he cares about is being with you. And when you glance at him, it's overwhelming. In the heart of the uncreated God, he's moved by your love. You don't know what this is at all. I, I, in, my, um, in my feed, I, don't, I follow a, a variety of interesting, this is my burner. <laughs> I, don't have a, I don't have a real Instagram anymore, but uh, I follow like history and mechanical and nature. I, it's random stuff. I sent my wife a bunch of cooking things today. <laughs> Not a bunch, I sent her two. But uh, so I've got one that's like current news and I this thing got me bad. It got me bad. There's this. There's these. Uh, there's a whole new thing of drugs, and it, maybe it's not new. I don't know. I'm not in the deal. But and it's like they call these people trank zombies. And in Philadelphia, they're in. A, they're having an epidemic. And they show the video, and there's these people, and they're stuck. They're stuck. They can't move because they are so completely whatever drug drugged out and they'll, they'll just be standing there stuck or laying on the ground stuck and it'll be like a kid with loafers and a button down in the gutter and all I can think is God he, he just wants to know love he wants an exhilarating experience he has no idea that God loves him and I'm sitting there looking at it I'm like oh God it's really the whole problem with the whole world. Is they don't understand the heart of a God who's, who's ravished over them. And this is the term that explains God's heart towards you the most. He's ravished over you. He's ravished over you. He wants you. You look at him, you glance at him, and it moves him. He goes, one look of your eye, one link of your necklace. And then he says this, verse 10. I mean, it's just, oh my gosh. How fair is your love, my sister, my spouse. How much better than wine 
is your love. Remember, we started, your love is better than wine, oh God. Now God's saying it back to us. Your love is better than wine to me. What's God saying? Out of anything I could have, out of any universe I could make, out of any conquest I could have, your love is the most intoxicating thing to me. God is saying that to you. Your love is better than wine. Can you, I mean, can you allow yourself to believe that God longs for you that way? If you could catch it even a little bit, I mean, so many of the things that we falsely put our affections to, all the distractions, all the attractions, all the illusions of things that we think we want, if you could just catch it, that he says, your love is better than wine. So many of the things you worry about, so many of the things you've got anxiety about, so many things you're trying to achieve and trying to become, if you could just catch this idea that your love is better than wine to God and that you have ravished his heart, let me ask you, if you do that to God, if that's how God feels about you, if your heart, I mean, his, if your love moves his heart that way, what's better than that again? There's nothing better than that. And that th this is where we understand love sickness, because then we go, I don't want to know, I don't want to know all these other false attractions. I just want to know your love. Let me know your love at the highest measure. Let me know it more. God, reveal it more to me. And sometimes he lets us feel the the, the sting of love without any feeling. Sometimes we feel the whoosh. And it's like, man, there's an invisible rainstorm happening on me. This is good. And then sometimes it's like, man, do you even know my address? It's not about a feeling. It's about what's true. And here's what I found. If you are moved by me that way, I'll go sit in the corner, close my eyes, and cry. And I'll do that hours a day if that's what you want from me. Because I'm so delighted to move your heart. What's interesting is we sing these songs, I just want to move your heart. That's all I want to do. And, but we don't have any concept about how much his heart is being moved. Your love, how much better than wine is your love? The scent of your perfumes, your emotions. Oh, he goes, your emotions, your perfume, the fragrance of you. He goes, oh, how good is it? He goes, you're a garden enclosed. He goes, I see this about you. You're a garden enclosed. You've locked out all the others because you want your heart to be fully mine. You're a spring shut up. The New Living Translation says it this way. You're a secluded spring, 
a hidden fountain. He looks at you and goes, you're my hidden fountain. You know, it's like, uh, I just imagine it this way. You're walking through the woods, and you come on a waterfall, and you, you kind of look around, and you're like, dude, I don't know if anybody's ever been here before. He goes, you're my special place. You're my special place of refreshing. You're my hidden fountain. God saying that to you. I pray right now, as I'm sharing these points to you, the performance mentality is just getting dealt with. She hasn't gone to the mountain yet, folks. She hasn't done anything yet. And finally, here's the last verse, 16. Now she's saying, she goes, Awake, O north wind, blow, O south wind. Come and blow my garden, that its spices may flow out. Let my beloved come to his garden and eat its pleasant fruit. Here's what she's saying. The north winds, those are the cold winds of testing and trial. The south winds, they're the warm winds of refreshing that bring fruitfulness. She goes, I don't care. If it's cold winds, north winds, I don't care. If it's warm winds, south winds, I don't care. If it's trial and testing, I don't care. If it's favor and blessing, I don't care. Let it all blow on my garden because all I want is the fragrance of my garden, the spices of my heart, the emotions of my heart. All I want is them to please you. I want you to experience pleasure from me. So let it come. Let it come. Let the trials come. Let the blessings come. Let the difficulties come. Let the favor come. I don't care. I'm going to love you through it and bless you all the way. Catch it. Her level of abandonment is equal to her understanding of his affections. When she understands his heart is ravished for her, she says, anything, anything. Mountains with leopards, I don't care. Mountain of myrrh, let it come. Let a winter come and hit my life. I don't care. I just want you to be blessed. He goes, you want me to be blessed? Your love is better than wine to me. She goes, oh, that works well because your love is better than wine to me. You're God's greatest place of pleasure. You are God's greatest place of pleasure. And whether you know it or not, he is yours. And that's what she comes to understand in Song of Solomon 4. She doesn't care anything about what the path is. It doesn't even matter at this point. Because it's all about love. Amen. He loves you. He loves you. You have ravished his heart with one glance of your eye. You have ravished his heart. 
the most precious thought. Amen. Let's just stand. Just stay in that attitude. Just close your eyes. Let's just stand. Y'all are my favorites. I love you guys. That was me. That wasn't the Lord. That was just me. <laughs> you guys are hanging in your Song of Solomon, like all mushy-gushy, 10 o'clock at night. Like, let's go. This is so great. I'm just gonna sing. I'm just going to say that verse over you again. Verse 9, you have ravished my heart, my sister, my bride. You have ravished my heart with one look of your eyes, with one link of your necklace. How fair is your love? How much better than wine is your love? Do you believe God is moved by you like that? I just sense Jesus saying over you, do you know the way you move me? Do you know the way you move me? Behold, you are fair, my love. Behold, you are fair. You have dove's eyes. I tell you, this message on the love of God will change your life if you let it. It'll change your whole life. You know the way you move him. He's saying over you, young man, do you know the way you move me? Young lady, do you know the way you move me? That's what he's saying to you. One glance of your eye, would you look at him right now with a steady gaze? Let it come. Lord, let your love rush over us. Let it come. Awake, O oh north winds. Blow, O oh south winds. Blow on my garden. He says, You're my hidden fountain. You're a fountain enclosed, a, a spring shut up. This is what sustains a human heart, is knowing the love of God. You'll never get burned out when you're feasting on the love of God.
Come, Holy Spirit. Come, Holy Spirit. Come, Holy Spirit. Come, Holy Spirit. Lord, I don't want to ever go through the motions. I want to live alive, animated in your love. I want to live drinking your love. John 15, 9, Jesus says, As the Father has loved me, I have loved you. Abide in my love. You don't have to leave. I will go my way to the mountain of myrrh, to the hill of frankincense. Lord, wherever it is you want me to go, I want to go. I want to go. I want to go. I want to go. If one glance ravishes him, what does a steady gaze do? Thank you so much for listening. We hope that this message ministered to you and that the Lord met you. You can follow us on Instagram at GatekeepersATL. We'll see you in the next message.